Welcome, children, to The Earth Wants You. This is Reverend Billy here with Savitri D, co-host here at the Church of Stop Shopping. Hello, Savitri. Hey, Rev. Hello, friends out there in Radioland. And with our our producer, Eva Yuminez. Hallelujah. Welcome, Eva, Eva. to, to The Earth Wants You and in Dublin. Killian standing by to edit, praise be. We have today uh, in the in the in the shadow of of the or in the sunshine of the of the caravan coming toward us from Honduras. Uh, in the ongoing shadow of ICE and the Border Patrol here, uh, pulling people into jails defeating the First Amendment, crashing our Constitution. We have um, this drama going on with the Earth, witnessing uh, the Earth with its storms, with its moods, with its living being, witnessing. And we have our guest today, Immo Klink. Savitri? Immo Klink from the Space Hijackers. And we visit the... Amazonian rainforest and its remarkable soundscape a little later in the show. In the extinction has got talent and of course the Brazilian rainforest now in peril as a fascist has been elected to the uh, presidency of Brazil. Yes, who vows to remove all limitations on extraction in the Amazon. Couldn't be worse news for our Mother Earth. We're just treating the Brazilian rainforest as what it is, what she is, a living being. And we're going to listen to her calling out to the earth. Imo Klink is a fascinating witness to alternative cultures, uh, many of them the the politics of the future um, in Europe and in in, uh, England and Ireland and around the world. Amen. Stay tuned. The Earth wants you. And now let's listen to Samande from the 70s Amen. when life was still sexy. Thank you. 
that song. I love it. I want to hear it over and over. But now I'm afraid it's time for news from the natural world. Give us the news, Sam. Welcome, listeners. This is news from the natural world. I'm Savitri D. Temperatures in the northeastern part of China's vast Tibetan plateau, often dubbed the roof of the world, have risen more than three times faster than the global average. The plateau, which spans more than 1,000 kilometers north to south and 2,000 kilometers east to west, is the source of many of the world's longest rivers, including the Yangtze. It also houses a fragile ecosystem sensitive to global warming. Glaciers on the entire plateau and neighboring regions have shrunk 15% in the past half century. Thawing permafrost on the plateau, which accounts for up to a quarter of China's land carbon sinks, could release earlier trapped carbon and further hasten the warming in temperatures. Spain will close nearly all its coal plants in 2018. Under its new strategy, the country is ensuring that the over 1,000 miners who stand to be affected will be able to transition into new jobs in renewables and environmental restoration. Amen. Go Spain. Take notes, USA. Oregon Governor Kate Brown signed an executive order that seeks to ban offshore drilling in the waters off the state's coast. Valuable habitat there off the Portland coast, the Oregon coast, whales, all kinds of creatures. Now protected? Hopefully. 200,000 people still die each year from pesticide poisonings, according to UN estimates, about 99% of them in the developing world. A further 110,000 suicides using pesticides take place each year. More than 100,000 people kill themselves using pesticides every year. Between 9 to 33 million visits to the emergency room for asthma worldwide may be triggered by breathing in air polluted by ozone or fine particulate matter, a first-of-its-kind global study from George Washington University has found. A lot of information here about asthma and particulate pollution. Uh, I'll just give you a few. 5 to 10 million asthma emergency visits each year uh, were linked to fine particulate matter. Half of the asthma emergency room visits attributed to dirty air were estimated to occur in South and East Asian countries, notably India and China. And although the air in the U.S. is relatively clean compared to those countries, ozone and particulate matter were estimated to contribute to 8 to 21 percent and 3 to 11 percent of asthma ER visits in the U.S. Now, I just want to draw your attention to those numbers. So 9 to 33 million visits. Now, that means they don't really know. It's either 9 million or it's 33 million. (laughs) That's a pretty big range. Uh, Jair Bolsonaro has won the presidency of Brazil. His win is a major blow to the environment. Some of his campaign pledges include no more Paris Agreement, no more Ministry of Environment, a paved highway cutting through the Amazon, indigenous territories will be open to mining, relaxed environmental law enforcement and licensing, international NGOs such as Greenpeace and the World Wildlife Federation will be banned from the country. He will forge a strong alliance with the beef lobby. In the Amazon, illegal loggers, miners, land grabbers, as well as large landowners have rallied to his banner. Here, they don't expect him to enforce the law. On the contrary, the hope is that he fulfills his promise to obliterate nearly all environment and pro-indigenous legislation. I think that we should drop this man from a veggie-powered helicopter into the center of an uncontacted tribe. 
The U.S. Interior Department has approved a plan by Hillcorp Energy, one of the nation's largest privately held oil and gas companies, to drill for oil in the Beaufort Sea in Alaska. If developed, the project, located six miles off the Alaskan coast, would be the first fossil fuel production facility in federal waters in the Arctic, fulfilling a Trump administration pledge to open more areas for offshore drilling. Interior Secretary Ryan Zink called the decision an important step toward, quote, American energy dominance. We are no longer trying for independence. Now it's dominance. Dominance. Developing our resources in Alaska especially will allow us to use our energy diplomatically to aid our allies and check our adversaries, he said in a statement. That makes America stronger and more influential around the globe. It gives us that first (laughs) strike capability. Evidence that an entire class of pesticides threatens the health of children and pregnant women is now so arresting that the substances should be banned. An expert panel of toxicologists has said exposure to organophosphates, OP, increases the risk of reduced IQs, memory and attention deficits, and autism for prenatal children, according to the paper. More than 10,000 tons of OP pesticides are sprayed in 24 European countries each year, and usage is even higher in the United States. A new study found that increased cardiorespiratory fitness was directly associated with reduced long-term mortality. You get that? Again. Exercise. (laughs) Tell us again. Lengthens your life with no limit on the positive effects of aerobic fitness. What do you mean no limit? (laughs) No limit. The more you do, the better it is. I can live to be 140. Extreme aerobic fitness was associated with the greatest benefit. Extreme aerobic fitness associated with the greatest benefit, particularly in older patients and in those with hypertension. (laughs) I'm tense. (laughs) The Puerto Rican government is considering committing the island to a 100% renewable energy grid by 2050, according to a new plan introduced on Wednesday. That's great news. In Cape Cod Bay, in the run-up to Boston Harbor, uh, right whales, it is reported, lose 50 to 70% of their opportunities to communicate due to routine ship traffic, noise pollution. It means, uh, this means that as shipping traffic increases, the ocean area over which a whale can communicate and listen has shriveled to a small fraction of what it was less than a century ago. There is this constant stopping and starting of whales' communications. There are entire sections of the ocean, 100,000 square mile areas at a time, that are awash in the sound of engines and where whales just leave the area completely or shut up. Ugh. <gasps> uh. Go mute. Delta Airlines mm. is planning to ban single-use plastic items such as straws, stir sticks, and utensils from its planes by 2019, making it the fourth major airline company this year to announce it will ditch plastic straws in favor of environmentally friendly alternatives. And how about developing an environmentally friendly alternative yes. to flying? How about, how about something okay. besides jet fuel? The world's first bio brick, grown from human urine, has been unveiled, signaling an innovative paradigm shift in waste recovery. The biobricks are created through a natural process called microbial carbonate precipitation. It's not unlike the way seashells are formed. Mm-hmm. Microbial In this case, preci- loose sand is colonized Pissing. with bacteria that produces urease. An enzyme, the urease, breaks down the urea in urine while producing calcium carbonate through a complex chemical reaction. This cements the sand into any shape, whether it's a solid column <laughs> or now, for the first time, a rectangular building brick. Let's go, people. 
pee-pee houses. Don't ask me to repeat what you just said. <laughs> Turn, <laughs> the urea is bricking. A team of researchers at the University of California has found that bacteria residing in the guts of mice are mainly obtained from their mothers and their microbiome makeup remains nearly the same over many, many generations. The researchers found that the gut biome of the mice remained remarkably stable. The biome 11 generations identical to the first generation 11 generations hereditary biomes so researchers our ancestors have the same this is important ecosystem in their in their, in their intestines bellies. and bellies well and ancestors it depends 10 generations for a mouse is different than 10 generations for a human why because mice live like a few months and we live 100 years um, researchers from <laughs> Karolinska Institute you said now that show, like I'm an idiot. No, you you're no, not you, an idiot. You're, talk, you're talking down to me. No, sweetie. I'm just saying mice and humans are different. That's all. Of mice and men. Yes. Great book. There's John so Steinbeck. many differences. But here's one in particular. <laughs> <laughs> humans who breathe through the nose consolidate their memories better. Our study shows that we remember smells better if we breathe through the nose when the memory is being consolidated. The process that takes place between learning and memory retrieval, that's consolidation. This is the first time this has been demonstrated and one reason why it's so hard to demonstrate this phenomenon is that most common laboratory animals, including mice, cannot breathe through their mouths. Just saying. Because when they're in the laboratory, we prevent them from? No, they just are unable to breathe through their mouths. This is unique to not, not just humans, primates, but not all mammals can do it. So, that's news from the natural world. Weird stuff today, but it, it's never weird enough for me. Never weird enough for me, I people. can see the megachurch out there. I can see... People listening, listening to your natural news. Let me tell you something. And you've, wa- you've, you've laid waste to your audience. What happened in Brazil yesterday? The election in Brazil is a blow, a cruel blow to anyone who works on the environment, who works for the earth. And I just want to say I'm so sorry. Not to, I'm just, this is a devastating blow. The Amazon. It's a cover for lots of people who will absolutely kill critical. environmentalists uh, who are the, the people who have, so many of them have already been shot and killed by paramilitaries working for miners, working for lumbering, lumbering companies, working for ranches. Uh, it's a cover for, for that kind of violence. For extraction, and, yeah, absolutely, on, on every level. And uh, to think of the untold, undiscovered, unknowable species that exist in the, in the Amazon. Our genetic uh, fountain are the birth of life just the glory that's all and to see it even more threatened it's already threatened enough it's threatened with the left-wing government it's threatened right now today yesterday the day before for the last my entire lifetime right we've been holding that back but now okay so yes it's just so upsetting it Let's it's talk hard to, to carry on with our basic podcast that it is. Uh, radio it is. theory, let's talk which to is Imo. humor and music. Yeah, yeah. So we have Immo Klink today. Immo Klink is the uh, a, a member of the Space Hijackers, a notorious 
interventionist activist group from uh, our London. Si- our sister church. He is a yeah. photographer, a documentarian, a storyteller. Uh, he has chronicled uh, the life and work of, of many people, especially activists around Europe. He, he has been studying the communities and settlements of uh, utopian visionaries and migrant refugees uh, simultaneously. He's a very interesting body of work. Uh, we welcome Immo Klink to the studio today. Welcome back to The Earth Wants You. I'm Savitri D with Reverend Billy, and we are very happy to have Immo Klink in the studio with us today. Immo joins us from London. Welcome, Immo. Uh, Immo is Hello. a photographer and a chronicler of activist movements. He is himself an activist and has been involved in all kinds of interesting work over the decades. Uh, we first met him uh, with the Space Hijackers, probably 10 years ago. Our ro- sister organization in uh, <laughs> London. Rowing in a little boat across the Thames uh, to occupy some public space. So, Emma, we always start by asking, uh, what is your favorite place on Earth? Oh, my God. It's probably my bed. Uh, but, first of all, I want your to Your bed? Say, <laughs> my bed. My bed is a good place. Um that's what I've heard. Uh, but there's other, there's not one. I like to sit in under the Manhattan Bridge uh, here in New York. And uh, I think there's some communities and eco-villages in Europe that I visited that really kind of uh, st- stroke me. And uh, like some of the happiest and and most beautiful places I've seen. So let's talk about that. You come out of the anarchist tradition, and in Europe, we don't have this so much in the U.S., but in Europe, there's this incredible uh, tradition of these autonomous zones and these autonomous uh, communities, and you've spent a lot of time in them. Can you talk to us about that? Um, Yes, there is is anarchist movements, and especially where I live now in London. Um, And, uh, yeah... As usual, they are a bit out of everything else. They don't want to mingle uh, with the socialist and the socialist worker, um, and they don't fit into the uh, uh, established political uh, spectrum. And um, the space hijackers definitely was a group like that. Um, we have disbanded now some years ago. We died a collective death and thought uh, it's better to go out with a bang and uh, <laughs> that then was start after something you, new. Uh, you uh, you <laughs> purchased through uh, cookie sales and lemonade sales on the streets. You purchased a surplus uh, military vehicle. Some people would call it a tank. Yeah, we had a tank, um, and we drove a tank into the art fair. Uh, art, yeah, in the art fair, and no, what am I saying? Yes, we had a tank, and we drove that tank into an arms fair, and then we tried to sell it there. You tried uh, to make the arms fair an arts fair. Oh, my God. It just makes me laugh no, to no, think of it. No, we don't do art. That, that was also very refreshing. Like, the Space Hijackers was really, how should I say it, um, a bunch of people that didn't fit anywhere Pirates. else. Pirates. 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 Uh, anarchists. Out of category. Rebels. Tra- troublemakers and drunks. Yeah, the and best. Sounds the, like good politics. The, the, the nice thing was really that mix. And the last thing anyone would think about was art. 
and uh, there was a lot of entrepreneurial spirit i think now a lot of people have their own businesses and they still go on uh, and look left and right where they can cause some trouble but uh, that was a really kind of um, refreshing aspect uh, the the wide mix of people in there were there about 15 or 20 uh, well sp hijackers space hijackers had i uh, obviously it always varies uh i think we've been around more than 10 years which is pretty long for an activist group and uh, I think we ha had between like 10 and 25 active uh, people. And then we had an agent structure. Uh, structure. And the agent structure uh, kind of, you could, you could sign up. You had to uh, pass a silly test on the website. And then you could become a secret agent. And I think agents we had all over the world. And uh, that was uh, in the thousands. That's so great. Wow. I remember also during the Olympics that you were the official protest group of the Olympics in London. We were the official protesters of the uh, 2012 Olympics <laughs> trademark. <laughs> and you uh, trademarked that <laughs> status. <laughs> well, we kind of we pretended we pretended to. We were a bit late for a trademark registration. You just can't talk about the hijackers without laughing, and I know. that's why that's it's a, such an good, effective sign. strategy. Um, but let's talk about the Zod. Let's talk about these autonomous uh, the European communities. European communities. And what's, uh, so what's happening there? Yeah, the European communities. The, the the story is that I got like many others involved in in all kinds of protest and alter globalization movements, uh, like turn of the millennium, and um, you know you went to the big uh, gatherings. I. I went uh, to the IMF and World Bank meeting in Prague, um, and I went to various G8 meetings. And what happened, uh, and what I saw is, uh, it was uplifting and amazing, but there was a also an element like, okay, they went into town, they smashed up the local McDonald's, mm -hmm. uh, photographed <coughs> probably like half a million of camera equipment from the global press, and then, uh, but then at some point people would go home, and, 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 and you would, sometimes think so where is this other world is possible that right. they're talking mm -hmm. about right. like mm -hmm. uh that they went in there they had a, a great exchange of ideas but uh that was about it where is the other world that's possible so um i was looking for that more and more and i had a glimpse of it at the g8 in evian um that was one of the first g8s that were um taken out of the big cities mm -hmm. and into the countryside mm -hmm. For security reason, that was uh -huh. after September 11, but also because they thought then they could rid of all these nasty protesters that <laughs> kind of uh, fall into <laughs> a city and uh, and block their congress centers. The insane clown posses mm -hmm. and the uh, exactly. So um, Evian was in the countryside, so uh, the people that wanted to protest against it had to come up with some kind of camp, and that camp. Uh, was very inspiring it was like a big festival mm -hmm. um but uh just almost uh, no money was paid anywhere uh you had big huge kitchens and it was very well run um and uh, i saw some big trucks of people and they were making bread and food and so i talked to these people and it turned out they came from all kinds of places where um uh, where they had built a bit their own structures and their own communities mm -hmm. So I remembered, uh -huh, right. I remembered a kind of 
rather wild and hippieish place in the south of uh, Spain, up in the mountains. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just looked for it. It was back then, uh, you know, you, I think you still can't find them on Google Maps, but you really had to ask around, go up a valley, and then suddenly you would see some teepees. And really tucked away in that valley was, uh, was one huge commune. That was the first one I saw. They all lived in teepees. So that's a bit like a classic kind of hippie in teepees and run around naked. And listeners, I think it's important to say at this time, right, that this isn't necessarily about checking out, right? One of the purposes these communities serve is is showing everyone that this can be done, that you can live in a wild way, that you can live uh, in, that another world is possible, as Imo said. I mean, Imo, you've spent a lot of time at the, the various migrant and refugee camps, too. I wonder what parallel you would draw between these, uh, you know, self-purposed, self-chosen camps and the camps that emerge from uh, the movement of people uh, across borders. I mean, first of all, if you look at all the communities, and I'm, I'm not talking about the camps yet, but the communities, the, uh, the spectrum of of political views and, and attitudes and the way they organize is, is huge. So you can really go from these kind of wild traveler places um, that have almost no structure and you just show up there and it's a bit lawless to communes that are really big, really organized. They, uh, you know, they, they give classes, some they have European funding. Um, there's one really big one uh, called Findhorn. Mm-hmm. They actually they have like management teams from London coming in and, mm-hmm. and learning about uh, you know decision making by meditation or, or things <laughs> like that. So yeah, they're, they're, they are really they are really organized and mm-hmm. and uh, so there, there's all kinds. You, you mean somebody like from HSBC would show up? And yeah, it's and no, I think they had a they had a, a big accounting firm uh, from. Uh, London and they send up some some of their managers but also a lot of young people go from college and study at Findhorn I mean it's a famous place to go learn about alternative economies and alternative like entrepreneurship and cottage industry and like how people create small economies within large economies I mean there's a lot of things you can learn from a situation like that what can we learn from these camps do you think I mean what do we take forward from them so uh, we got to differentiate so I started this with communities, communes, eco-villages that were vol- voluntarily set up. They, they had a certain agenda, a certain mindset. And uh, as I said, there's wild ones uh, that just want to be out of society. But the majority are very switched on people. And they are having a very clear plan. Um, there's, a, there's a very interesting movement now going on in Wales um, the, the local parliament, the Welsh Assembly, has actually passed a law a couple of years ago because all this this scene of different kind of communities lobbied and got somehow support from some uh, Welsh Assembly uh, members to pass a law on low-impact living. So before, all the communities uh, were kind of hidden away and they had to kind of, at some point they were discovered and then they had to fight for planning permission. There's now one community which is really inspiring, it's called Lamas, and they're the first community that actually went for full planning permission. So it's, it's about eight families there now, and, and they, they have planning, planning permission. It's a, a whole new 
opens a whole new spectrum of as well people who can't get on the property ladder. Um, it, they they could move out into the country and and take advantage of this low impact living planning permission which is roughly, it always changes, but it roughly is, uh, I think if you take 70% of revenue from the land, which is not too difficult to do, like if, if you have a hydropower, if you have solar power, all mm -hmm. these kind of things, um, it can work. And, and there's certain ways you have to build your house and, and certain ways, certain materials. But uh, this really shows that a lot of the communes, uh, especially in Europe and Wales and England, was an extended struggle like you know the activists struggled at at um at the big uh, gatherings um mm -hmm. turn of the millennium these people fight an extended struggle for planning permissions right. and for a different use of the land right. we see this with the zod right now when they're actually getting some permissions to be there and to do what they've been doing already with well there was a big battle at zod a couple months ago now what's this current state of the French uh, alternative I followed the battle a bit. Uh, I haven't been there. I was I was there um, before that battle, uh, and everybody was a bit in an anxiety. Something's going to happen, but they right. didn't know what yet. And the reason I went there is I knew if they really come and clear this out, I really want to photograph it first. Uh, and, and before and, and it's cleaned out you before mean? it's cleaned out yeah and uh, so I went around it's it's a very it's not easy to go in there with your camera I mean <laughs> the very the very basis to be there I think is already illegal now so uh, if you photograph somebody um, yeah you better ask first <laughs> yeah and well, uh, so I went I went in there with a massive old-fashioned large format camera oh wow I had to set it up I had to have it on a, like, <laughs> well that's friendlier that's a friendlier yeah. uh, John yeah. gave me gave you don't me a seem bicycle. like you're from the CIA or something exactly no no it's not about friendly it's like they 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 saw the camera and they saw how long it took to set it up. It's like <laughs> if this guy is a cop, he's really really stupid. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, and they, they liked it, you know. They liked this kind of old camera. Yeah. So yeah. I it, a lot of people let me photograph their dwellings, and and so that's a whole nice series that documents and these dwellings that people make sometimes document even more how much how much love, how much yes. effort, and how much belief went into this it's so beautiful to see and you know it reminds me of um well everything right now makes me think of migrants and migration and and what people leave behind you know um and how there are millions of people walking away from decades of love and care for their own home or their village um, let's and pull back a little bit and, and take the big the big picture industrial agriculture military Military, paramilitaries around the world are marching up to people who have alternative communities and they're saying you can't live here anymore but they're they saying that the to slip. people all over you know people who choose to live in these situations but as well you know someone living in in south sudan who suddenly has no way to live who has nothing to eat who has to move and has to walk away from everything they've built so um who might have you know, been there spend time years. with those communities talk to us a little bit about calais and the jungle and and uh, the, the new the new camp at dunkirk if you would mm. yeah so um this this long-term project on the European communities or communes or eco-villages that moved on now that I, I saw there was uh, there's a new form of 
let's say settlement uh emerging a and and you had things like uh you know an anti-fracking camps um you had the jungle in calais and then another jungle uh developing in dunkirk and then some of these jungles got calais got cleared but then i realized there's a, a thing called that the french call the mini jungles so on the main motorways or highways from the continent to the big ports that lead to the UK, which is Dunkirk and Calais. You go along these motorways, you stop at any kind of rest route, so it's kind of, what do you call it in American? Uh, rest stop. Service area. Yeah, service yeah. area, you stop there, you go in, and you ask the, the guy on the counter, where's the migrants? <laughs> and he'll point somewhere off the highway, and you walk there, and if, if you find a lot some trees or something, at uh -huh. some point, you were pretty much guaranteed you'll find some makeshift tents down there. And and that was called the mini jungles. And they were just kind of tucked away in this kind of Flemish painterly landscape. Wow. <laughs> and uh, and just hidden away. The locals sometimes knew about it and uh, and they, they let them do it. But uh, these these are camps very different to the communities. That, that, that is really... A, a, these camps are not voluntarily these camps are fascinating for the courage and the pioneering spirit almost that these people have that live there and that go through mm -hmm. there mm -hmm. uh, they are also terrifying for the desperation for the desolation for uh, the horrible sanitary conditions mm -hmm. um, but uh, if you look at Calais at, at, at its at its biggest time that was really fascinating mm -hmm. and horrifying mm -hmm. it was a, a, a city it was a city that kind of it had a high street it had shops it had restaurants it had uh yeah the whole infrastructure yeah. a mosque schools church, schools art studios and uh i don't know there was there was one quote of a, i i heard from a a person that spent a long time helping out a British person and I, j I just like the comparison it was it was like a festival with with the festival spirit when nobody everybody hates the music <laughs> and leaving it is potentially deadly that's wow. what it, so you know that you went in it was horrible but there was also you had these people from all over the world, yeah. uh, Sudan, Afghans, uh, Darfur, um, oh uh, Syria, mm. Mm. Oh. and and then they had their own neighborhoods. And you know, I'm I'm not romanticizing it. There was also there was a lot of struggle and tension between the neighborhoods. You know, like the Afghans didn't go on with, uh, get on with the Africans, and uh, it it was really not all kind of lovey dovey. But um, it was a city in the making. They mm -hmm. really. I mean, mm -hmm. it, when you saw it at High Street, you were. Now, you why were. is that so exciting? I have a theory. <laughs> Where our high streets and main streets have been converted into malls, and we are suffering from the monoculture. Things have become very samey and homogenous around the world, and it's just getting worse with the rise of these fascist governments. Uh, it's terribly exciting. I remember from Occupy, but I also remember from Standing Rock and Black Lives Matter. When, when communities start up, uh, how exciting that feels. There's an excitement there. We can invent 
uh, society again. Well, I think also people realize they there's so many things they don't need, right? They, you look around, you see what you can live with. Um, uh-huh. But then, of course, we look at those things from our our very comfortable position. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we got to be... We have to that's, be super careful about that. it because it's no one wants to be in that situation. You make Nobody, the best of it because that's what humans do, right? But it's it's a desperate situation. But I, yeah, somehow it is fair somehow to look at it different ways. It is for the people who live there um, a pretty desolate and hopeless place. And tell us about the burning of Calais because uh, you know that's not something I knew very much about till we spoke about it m- moments ago. Um, yeah. So. Uh, Calais, when it reached its peak, um, this is from both sides, from the French and the Brits. They were and it was becoming a political football. It was a political football. The English just like, no, we're not taking them. And, and then built some ridiculous fence around that highway that you just had to go 300 meters on and then <laughs> you would be able to reach the motorway <laughs> again. And that this, this, was, this was crucial. Um, I mean, the story with Calais was like, first, they just went on the motorways. So they, uh, they would wait for a traffic jam and then open the lorries from the back and slip into the lorries. Uh, somebody else actually had, so had to, they, they worked in teams. Somebody else had to close the lorry and then they were hoping to get through. Um, wow. That fence made it more difficult. Then they, ha- they introduced... Um, uh, body scanners so they, they can scan a whole lorry and, and, and see people in there see people in there but still um, from what I heard and you know you only get informal information there were still people getting through but then it became more a focus on the Eurostar so people tried to jump on the the cargo trains of the Eurostar and uh, I, th- yeah uh, I think people made it but a very desperate thing and a lot of people get injured yeah and you, you see them kind of with bandages and everything no. uh, running around in the camp and uh, several people died um actually when i was there a, a young boy died and uh, and that's still shocks me today i think he was I, I don't even know if he was 18 young boy um didn't make the jump on the train and, and oh, yeah. missed the, the train yeah missed the jump well you know this <coughs> one feeling i'm getting is that um we're feeling the future here. Uh, the cities are breaking down. Uh, in the United States, we're becoming incre- increasingly a society of of big banks and big guns. You know, uh, military plus financing, uh, and all in denial about what's happening with the climate, the earthquake, the tsunamis, the the increasing expression from the earth. We just had a hurricane here called Florence in which one million people were in in a single traffic jam through uh, two of our states, all trying to get away from the ocean. <laughs> and uh, and they're, they're starting to, well, where do we live? If we, we can't get to our relatives, where do we go? You know, how do we take care of ourselves? What kind of food? What kind of sanitation? Um, the future, uh, the, the, they say in just a matter of years, we will have to flee the harbor cities. Well, you're a storyteller, Imo. I mean, you tell stories, right? You, you chronicle these movements and these groupings of people. I mean, what do you see? What's happening? What do you think the future holds for us? Um... 
Well, I see sometimes beautiful things with these kind of communities I visit, the ones that kind of took that decision to live and build a different world for themselves. But not only for themselves, as well to really show other people. There are many of these places are like schools and people learn mm. in it uh, how something else can be possible. And I realized after photographing some how much they influenced me so I think, hmm, all right, my rubbish has not been taken away when I live in London. So you got to go call the council and how to do this. And then um, you have to complain. And then you always think like, ah, okay, those people in that commune, how would they have gone about it? They would have a meeting and how would they have sorted out that problem? So uh, there's a lot of comparison. There's a lot of inspiration you can draw from them, how maybe things in the city where I live um, could be changed. Um, on the negative part, uh, for example, with the migrant movements, um, so we had about a million migrants now coming into Germany. Um, so this is just, this is compared when, when the consequences of climate change really impacting us. Uh, this is nothing. This is this is uh, this is the tip of the iceberg. What's going to happen? And just these one million have already caused such a shift. Um, I think Germany has coped well with it, but um, you can see that there, yeah. is, there is consequences. Yeah. What, what, like, what can a political system deal with? What, and uh, there's a lot of discussion about that. Mm -hmm. And I don't know exactly where to stand, but y you can say, oh, let them all in. But you will end up with, uh, with a, in Germany, it's the AFD, which, which, a, uh, which is a radical right-wing uh, mm -hmm. movement. Um, you will end up with the AFD in government. Mm -hmm. um, and how do you counter that? Right. I mean, exactly. The, the fight moves. It gets closer, right? It comes in closer, and then, then you have to have a meeting, <laughs> right? I mean, it's not at a distance. The border's not 100 miles away. You're not protected by some DMZ that saves you from that border. That border's, like, in your front yard, right? And, and then we're dealing with that weird binary where some people are, are okay with change and some people aren't. You know, some people are willing to to be generous to people they don't know and have never met, and some people are not. And it's so divided now, and especially around this issue. Um, one has to really mm, grapple with it personally, but also, I think, take a strong stand publicly, you know? Yeah, I mean, immigration, there's, it's always a, a strange um, topic in the political and social discussion. Uh, there's always a fear, immigrants going to take our jobs. So this is kind of this this uh, this notion of uh, they're, act they're definitely going to take something away. I mean, if you have a h one million immigrants coming in, I mean they have to sleep somewhere and they might sleep in the, in the in the school gym and stuff. So yeah, for for a short term, they do take something away. But uh, interestingly, if you look at well, one obvious thing is always like the, m the most kind of fear of immigration is actually in the areas where there are no immigrants. So um, if you mm -hmm. go out uh, right. somewhere in Britain and the regions that have the least immigration and the least kind of refugees taken in, they are, they are the, m the, the most afraid of they immigration. They have the fear. Yeah. Uh, and then also what you can see now, it was an interesting uh, report on the BBC. Um, people thought and people said or people 
made believe that Brexit is all about immigration and controlling immigration. Now they, they did surveys um, and people also see like this whole Brexit thing might hit them pretty hard economically with jobs and with all kinds of other things. Um, I think Brexit now was on, on number four, on number five of the relevant things. Before it was like, get us jobs, um, get up, like the economy has to be right. And then, then much, much further down the line, you had immigration. Mm -hmm. So a topic that was stirred up mm -hmm. via immigration, mm -hmm. we have to take control That's of right. our borders, we have to Brexit, is now suddenly like yeah. way down the agenda. The Trump phenomenon is very, very similar. Yeah, it's a wedge. Uh, they wanted to get out of Brussels. They thought Brussels w had too much power. Uh, the way that a lot of people in the Midwest and West thought that uh, we have to get out of Washington, D.C. So the, the, and then through time, the, uh, we watch, we watch the shift as we watch this crazy man you know waltz around the world and and uh so racist so sexist we start seeing all these different colors and and things have shifted around i don't think that you know my the people that i know in the midwest who who just had this hatred of hillary clinton this hatred of washington dc um now it's been nuanced now they're they're uh, that that hate became old and and uh, they, I don't know that they, um, I don't know that they have a different feeling about this current caravan coming from Honduras than they had uh, two years ago from Trump's, you know, rape, rapist and drug addicted uh, oh, don't even say uh, it. Mexicans that he was trying to make don't people afraid. Don't say that out loud. I don't know if it, if it's shifted that much, but we we have to go to these conservative elements. And we have to go and somehow communicate. We have to break down that, that false binary because the earth will anyway. The earth is going to, these walls are coming down. You know, the people are coming through. The, 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 the droughts and superstorms, we just had a storm land in the United States with, with a 175-mile-an-hour wind, uh, you know, like Yolanda in the Philippines. And it's just, just a, a superstorm. And that is what it will be the pattern now. And we can't hold to our old prejudices anymore. Mm. We're going to have to save each other. We're going to have to have new ways of living. And whole cities will have to be abandoned. Um, so our hatred, our hatred just cannot be allowed by us to keep us so without the ability to live with, with what's going on around us. The, the hatred must change. And these alternative communities, I think of the Lama Foundation in Taos, New Mexico, the, they have been working on permaculture. They've been working on a new way of bringing energy into the community, a new, a new cycle of nourishment and waste and living, uh, education and so forth. And they they need to bring that to New Mexico. They they're going to have to they're going to have to these alternative communities are going to have to be like you say educational centers, and they're probably going to have to travel out into the world somehow. And talking about educational centers, I mean, what I saw there was um, things like biological farming. That also started in these places, and they were laughed at. Like, oh, how do you want to make tomatoes without any kind of pesticides? It's ridiculous. And I mean, pff, 
organic is big business now it's totally yeah. mainstream um then then all, all all kinds of ideas that permaculture as well that that comes out of these places uh, all kinds of other spiritual ideas comes from the communities and and that's why i see them as kind of centers of education where where this kind of knowledge spreads out to other communities and maybe becomes mainstream. Emma, we're out of time, but I wonder where can people see your amazing photographs of these places and where can people see your work? So they just Google your name online, Immo Klink. That's what you do, immoklink.com. Um, That's I-M-M-O-K-L-I-N-K. Cool name. So Immo, like Immobile, <laughs> Klink, like... Like the hostel in like London. Like prison, but without a C. <laughs> <coughs> where you get tortured uh yeah that's 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 all on there the communities and many other kind of activisty thing and uh thanks for having me i'm uh i'm i'm honored uh you guys were for the late space hijackers and many other people in london some kind of spiritual backbone <laughs> when we didn't know where to go <laughs> it's like let's talk to billy <laughs> That's well, nice. we're, we're glad to uh, supply the backbone anytime. It's always it's, been uh, good to have the community in London and England. And just, I, I always feel that um, you're out there ahead of us in a way. And we look to you for guidance and radical knowledge. You've taken us into the British Museum. We, yeah. We've really made fools out of ourselves uh, yeah. under your guidance. Yeah, so thank you for that. What and was thank the, you what for was joining the funeral, us. Uh, the funeral on the East End there? <laughs> At the Starbucks. Yeah, remember we had a helicopter escort. A helicopter <laughs> following know, us across. <laughs> we had a tea party at the Starbucks and then the helicopter just hovered over the tea party. For Soldiers like surrounding hours. the Starbucks and we I were, we were uh, teas and cake on the sidewalk. One, one, of, uh, one of our founders, Robin, his birthday was on the 1st of May. So that's, that's Labor Day or it's called May Day. So uh, that was always the day when trouble was supposed to be happening. Well, it wasn't supposed, it did happen. <laughs> so at some point, Robin always had a policeman standing next to his door <laughs> so he on his birthday he would come out and it's like hello it must be my birthday <laughs> <laughs> oh, happy Rob. birthday robin it's always your birthday robin happy may day and Immo, have a safe trip home good to see you give our love thank to the hijackers much. thank you we'll, we'll do now we're gonna go to this living being that has been creating life We've depended upon the Brazilian rainforest. The, the Brazilian rainforest has been called the lungs, has been called the, 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 the fountain of all, all living things. Uh, we praise it, and now we are going to listen to it calling out to us. It is, of course, it is hemmed in from all sides, and now with this fascist elected uh, to lead Brazil... Uh, it is threatened as never before. Let's go now to the sounds of the Brazilian rainforest.
And that was the incredible work of Bernie Krauss. Uh, thank you, Bernie. The biophonist. He listens to the earth. We are at a, a, a once again, and this happens every day, every hour of our lives at this point. We're at the ecosystem's phrase for crossroads. <laughs> Because we're not sure we want those roads anymore. If they're paved and if they have cars and trucks on them, we want to use another another metaphor there. No gun metaphors, thank you. Let's get out of let's get out of cars and trucks metaphors. Amen. We've got to invent a new way of talking. Maybe maybe the Brazilian rainforest taught us a new language. We have the caravan arriving from Honduras, and as the caravan is coming. The caravan calls out to us. Those thousands of people, they give us a message. We discover the reason that they're in flight, coming towards their relatives, coming towards this land of milk and honey, the United States. I'm uh, uh, falsely described, I think, as the land of milk and honey, but they're coming here because of climate change. Coming here from Honduras because they're having so much trouble raising their own food because of the shifting of the seasons, because of the droughts, because of the difficulty there, they start walking. And that is what we have all done. And that is in our genetic, our cultural DNA, our physical DNA, we have all traveled. When it was necessary, we traveled. And sometimes the, the people and the animals, the the plants and the, the bacteria, all the life that we walk towards, sometimes it invites us and sometimes it doesn't. That is evolution. Evolution is sometimes fraught with violence. And sometimes, as has been discovered recently by women scientists, sometimes we are invited in and we live because we have found ways to give life to where we're going, and the life that is receiving us cooperates with us. There's a whole new world of evolution in which symbiotic living, cooperative living, is being discovered. Uh, we must find ways to let evolution go forward the way it always has. Sometimes, there, sometimes there's competition, but sometimes there's cooperation. We want to offer love now. Our best solution right now is to open the borders and look for the cooperation. Yes, let's do that. Let's look for the love. Yes. Let's find new ways to not be right wing. Yeah. Let's find new ways not to go to the gun. Mm -hmm. Find new ways not to be afraid. Like it. Symbiosis, children. Yes. Somebody give me a love a -luya out there. Are you hearing me in Boulder and Taos yes, and Alaska and in London and Berlin? Do you, you hear us? We're yes. calling out. Love a Earth Earthaluya. Open the borders. Open them. Find a way to live together. Let's do it. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being with us today on the Earth Wants Us to Live. Praise be. Thank you for listening. Please share the show with your friends. And communicate with us. We want to hear from you. You can find us at redbilly.com.